sermon text this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 14. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Midgron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sena. The one crag rose from the, in the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes which they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Amen. All right, faith is... Uh very important aspect, obviously, of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11:6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's faith, believing not only that God exists, but that he is a big God who can reward and give all we need. Uh, faith is basically that foundation, therefore, right, for the Christian life. Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In what? In the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or literally by faith from first to last. It's by faith from beginning to end that we receive this righteousness of God. So the righteous shall live by faith. So literally, faith is, is, is everything for us, right? We are justified by faith. We are sanctified. We live 
out the gospel by faith. None of this is us. It's the faith that God has given us, but it's all faith in his grace and his power. So, so uh, faith, therefore, is one of the most important gifts God has given us. I, I, I say gifts. You say, well, wait a minute. It, faith is mine. I, I, I have great faith. It's my great faith. Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our faith is weak. Our faith fails. It's the gift of God's faith that perseveres. It's a gift. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, faith is that which allows us to believe when we can't see, to continue when we feel like giving up, to hope when all around us seems hopeless. That's not us. We want to give up. We want to stop. We, we want to see. We, we don't want to believe unless we see. But faith that God gives, this gift of faith, continues through all of that. It, it perseveres. Charles Spurgeon put it well. He said, Faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the windows which hope has opened. Mm. One more time from our assistant pastor. Faith goes up the stairs that love has built and looks out the windows which hope has opened. And, and no one uh, examples this better. No one is a greater example of this kind of faith that walks up the stairs that love has built and looks out the windows of all that God can do than Jonathan. And we're going to look at that this morning in our, in our text and hopefully be encouraged and be inspired by the word of God. Notice what we find ourselves here. We, we see ourselves after last week, this, this movement by Jonathan caused quite a stir. We, we see the Philistines are uh, angered. They were always kind of around the Israelites and they had a few garrisons everywhere and they were kind of controlling Israel right from the outside. Um, uh, and yet Jonathan decided, wait a minute, God said to drive these guys out of our land and so I'm going to start. And he, he took one of the garrisons out. And it made the Philistines angry. So now they have amassed a huge army. And they have now encamped at Michmash. And they have 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And the footmen, it says, it's, it's as the stands of the sea. It's not even numbered. There's so many. And, and the reason the Holy Spirit makes this point is to show us the hopelessness of the situation. And this massive army is encamped now against Israel. And that's where we find ourselves here in Verses 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, Israel has moved its forces to Gibeah. And what's the plan? Well, it looks like we're going to find out here in verse 1 to sit under a tree. Look what it says, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Why? Well, his father, here's, here's his father, Saul. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave, or literally trees. They make a cave. It's the idea that the trees, the shade of the trees. So he's basically sitting in the shade of the pomegranate trees in Migron. That's Saul's plan. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phineas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, 
And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Man, what a wild verse. And what this, this is very important because it's showing us the leadership of Israel, the official quote, yet unofficial, <laughs> unauthorized leadership. And what I mean by that, we remember Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, the wicked Hophni and Phinehas, and Eli's failure to be a, a father who uh, corrected them, and the sins ran rampant, and God said, all right, Eli, the priesthood's gone. Your, your lineage is, is done. It's no more. It's unofficial. And here we have Saul, who also, God has said, your lineage is finished. Your monarchy stops. Your family will not inherit the kingship. It'll pass to another. So think about this. We have this leadership here with a, 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 a false priest, right? He's playing priest. He's not the lineage. He has no real authority with God. And we have a king who's already been told by God, you're not going to go any further. So, so really, there is no leadership in Israel. And look at the weird um, connection here as we look at the man of God, Samuel. He is the only hope of Israel, right? He's the one who cares about Jehovah and Yahweh. He's the one who keeps calling the people back to follow God. But he's left. After, after the king disobeyed in Gilgal and made that sacrifice and disobeyed the command of God, the man of God said, I'm out of here, and he, he departed. And now what do we see here? The only other person in Israel that shows an inkling of believing in Yahweh, that shows any inkling of obeying Yahweh, is Jonathan. It's interesting, at the end of this verse, listing the unauthorized leadership now at this moment of Israel and, and, and the apathetic leadership, it says those words, the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. The Bible says that many times about the Holy Spirit leaving. I'm just going to, again, that's, not, that, that's just my observation here. That's, that's not an exegetical point, but that's my observation. It's interesting to think that right now, in that moment, Israel is in scary hands with Saul and Ahijah, because, and Jonathan is gone. But look at this. It also shows us this contradiction, or this, this contraction um, between act, action of Jonathan, the action of Jonathan. He was a man of action, and it contrasts that with the apathy of Saul. Once again, we see Jonathan taking the initiative, and here we see Saul sitting under the pomegranate tree. Apathetically, evidently. And that's again what the Bible seems to reveal about Saul. So, 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 so look at this. Look at this faith given by God to Jonathan in verses 4 and 5. Here's his plan. It's a tough road. The Bible's going to make this clear how, how tough the road is between Gibeah and Michmash. Okay, it says this. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other was Sinna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on, uh, rose on the south in front of Geba. Now, in this area there was something known as the pass. They, they call it the pass. And it was the only place you could travel with ease north and south between Geba and Michmash. And it was, it was flat, basically, and level, and you could travel pretty easily. Now, Jonathan's plan is looking straight ahead because what, what you have running east to, to, to west are these crags and these, 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 these cliffs 
And, and the, the people have even named them Bozes and Sina. One means slippery and one means thorny. Not very inviting to hikers is the idea. It's, it's rough terrain. Everybody uses the pass as it's known for a reason. Now, the Philistines have strategically taken Michmash and therefore they control the pass. And they're using that pass to send their raiding teams in and out of Israel to, to, to raid and come back. And they can get supplies very easily. So, so they're controlling that. And they can easily see somebody coming through that pass. And yet Jonathan says, we're not going to use that pass. He looks straight across and says, there's our route. Here's the plan. <laughs> Verses 6 through 7. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, wouldn't you love to be that guy? Isn't that funny? We know him as the young man who carried Saul's armor. What a faithful young man. How we need more young men who don't care about a name. They don't care about prosperity. They don't care about brand building. They just want to carry the armor. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be. Perhaps. That's the word there. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's a basic plan. <laughs> Don't you have plans that have the word perhaps? <laughs> and again, the astounding reaction of the armor bearer. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. <laughs> wow. There is not a waver of doubt in me about this. I am with you, heart and soul. Wow. And, and, and we got to remember, folks, there is no reason to be optimistic here at this moment. I've already explained the dire situation. But here's the point. This is not optimism. This is faith. Now, some people are just naturally optimistic. That's because they don't know any better, <laughs> right? I mean, you know people like that, right? It's always, it's going to be great. The problem is, the difference really with optimism and faith is this. Optimism is no better than wishing on a star. That's really what optimism is. It's no better than wishing on a star. Where faith is putting our confidence in the one who made those stars. Faith is believing in an object, a, a God who is all-powerful. I'm not just wishing and hoping it comes to pass. I am putting my confidence in the one who makes it come to pass. Jonathan believed in a big God. Therefore, he could have big faith. Ralph Davis calls this the imagination of faith. I like that. The imagination of faith. Our, our imagination is not hindered as Christians. There is really no limit to our imagination because there's no limit to the power of our God. And, and this is what Jonathan understood. He understood that God is big. He had the theology of a big God, a limitless God, a sovereign God, and therefore, his imagination could run wild. And that's the faith, again, that we all miss. I mean, we all are, are like this. We saw these children up here, right? And do you remember? Can you remember that far? I mean, think about that. Remember the, the faith 
just believing things. Just believing things that we're told. Sometimes, I mean, I know it's, 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 it's bad, and this is where we have to be careful as parents because our kids do believe. They are very naive, obviously, young, impressionable. But this is what Jesus meant when he said, if, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? You have to believe God totally. You just have to believe. You don't say, God, give me the proof that you exist. Give me the proof of this. Let me see this. Let me see. No, I believe. I believe because you told me. That's what we got to be careful as parents. When we say, hey, Mickey Mouse is over here around the corner. Oh, really, really? No, I'm just kidding. That's not good. That's not good. Let our yay be yay and our, 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 our nay be nay with our kids because they do believe. But this is what we see with, with Jonathan as God's child. He believes his father is <laughs> all-powerful. And his imagination of what God can do runs wild. And that's what we see in the word perhaps. Perhaps. We don't know what God can do. <laughs> it's, so let's, let's believe big things. Perhaps God will work for us. You never know. And we'll never know, armor bearer, unless we get out there. <laughs> we'll never know what, what God is going to do unless we move. And again, we can't forget that teaches us. And here's the quote I want us to remember. Think this, put it in your mind, put it in your hearts. Those who believe big things about God attempt big things for God. Those who believe big things about God attempt big things for God. Do you really believe that God is sovereign? Do you really believe that God can save your family, your children, your neighbor, your, the, the co-worker? Do you believe it? Do you pray? Do you pray believing? Then do you act upon it in faith and witness to them? I am with you heart and soul, says the armor bearer. What an example of how we build each other up in the faith. That's what Jonathan is. Jonathan is building this young man's faith. Together, they're building each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 basically says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up in faith. That's why we gather so we can hear each other say, you know what? We serve a big God. Here's what God has done for me. Perhaps God could do that for you. He can do anything. Let's believe. Let's pray together. Let's begin to walk forward together in this battle that God has put us in. Now, there is one more important point, though, that we have to look at with the word perhaps, or it may be that God may help us. One more important point about that. So many people today think that if you're praying for somebody who's sick or you're praying about something that you want to do and, and see happen, and you use the words, if it be your will, Lord, heal so-and-so if it be your will. Oh, no, we'll have none of that if it be your will. It must be his will. Oh, that's not faith. There's none of this questioning, none of this, Lord, if it's your will, it must be definite. God, give us this building if it's your will. Oh, no, no, he's going to give us that building. We demand, we demand that God give us that building. Be careful. We may get that building and find all kinds of problems. Here's how to reconcile this a little bit. Genuine faith recognizes both the power of God and the freedom of God. Genuine faith recognizes the power of God without 
without ignoring the freedom of God. If God is all-powerful, he can do anything, or he can do nothing. Does that make sense? If God really is all-powerful, he can do anything, or he can do nothing. And he's still God. He's still all-powerful, and he is still working out his will. And that's faith on our part, folks. It's just, it takes just as much faith and trust for us to rest in a holy God when what we asked him for did not happen. And even when some things happen that seem to go against the good in our life at that moment, faith rises up and says, as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. My faith is still in him. Why? Because I will still believe that all things work together for good to those who love God. That's faith. So just realize and remember, as we're praying in faith and believing in faith and believing that God can do all things, we, we have to do that as well. We have to step out and do some things. We also realize we cannot dictate to God. We trust Him. We trust Him. Now let's get some more details of the plan <laughs> in verses 8 through 10. Okay? Here's a little more details. Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand our ground. Then, then we will we'll stand still in our place. And we will not go up to them. Basically saying, we will not attack them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. Sound good? Sound good to you? <laughs> nope. Now, that's what I would say. Let's think about this, folks. This plan of Jonathan's was not West Point Military Academy approved. Mm -mm, not, not by any means. Think about this. We're going to cross at the most difficult and dangerous point of terrain we can find. Good idea. Number two. We're going to take on an enemy five times larger than us with superior weapons and with no reinforcements, period. We're going to have no, no reinforcements. And then finally, we're going to purposely reveal ourselves to the enemy, thereby removing any, any element of surprise. See, none of that is military strategy. Mm-mm. That is fly by the seat of our pants. I mean, it kind of is. I'm telling you, it wasn't much of a plan as far as strategy goes. This is faith saying, all right, God is the one who can destroy that garrison of 20 plus men. We just got to get over there because <laughs> he uses people. God uses people. That's the other great thing about this, these stories of, of, the, of, of, of the Old and New Testament. It shows that God is all powerful and his choice tool or instrument to use is his people. So Jonathan is saying, God will get us there. And when he does, if he wants to wipe them out, he'll wipe them out with us. <laughs> so let's go. And Armour Bear says, I'm already packed. Already got my shoes on, ready to go. So how's it play out? Okay, verses 11 through 15. So both of them, <laughs> so by the way, it's already assumed that they're they're scaling the side of Slippery, old Slippery, as it was known by the, by the locals, Bozes. Very slippery, 
crag of rocks, and they're, they're climbing. As the Bible says, on hand and feet, they're making their way. It's, it's hard. And so as they're clambering up, these two guys, these <laughs> two little Hebrews, clambering up the side of a cliff. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And it had to look like that. All these crags and, and rocks and, and, and holes in the side. Here comes these little guys. You see them a minute, then you lose them. Oh, there they are again. They're popping out. Yeah, they're on their way. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come on up to us and we'll teach you a thing or two. That's what they're saying there. That's what that means, right? Come on up and we'll show you a thing. We'll teach you something. We'll teach you a lesson you won't forget. That's what they're saying. <laughs> and that was like saying sick them to a dog, to Jonathan, right? Come on up. We're going to show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Yeah! I took basically what he said, right? <laughs> he said, Come on up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Woo! To Jonathan, the battle's over. <laughs> He's been climbing and fighting and thinking, Is this all this worth it? And when he heard that, it's worth it. It's done. It's over. Wow. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, again, showing us. The, the, the treacherous terrain that they're climbing, hands and feet climbing, just, just, just working their way up this cliff. <laughs> oh, man. Look at it. Look at what happens. Then Jonathan climbed on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they, look at this, and they, the Philistines, fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. Now that either means these guys were killed twice or that Jonathan was just mowing them down and the armor bearer is, while they're down, he just sliced their heads off. Wow. Whatever that is, we, we see God doing a miraculous act. I mean, you talk about a SEAL team strike with precision. This is what this ended up being, right? These two guys just went in there and just, just wiped out this professionally trained military superiorly armed garrison of 20 men. And look what happens. At that first strike, this is just the first strike. At that first strike with, 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 which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, it killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp and in the field and among all the people. This begins to encompass all of the army of the Philistines, the garrison and even the raiders trembled, the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. God is acting. God is moving. And the enemy is in great panic. Glorious. I mean, this is, man, this should excite us. This is, this should, this is, this is why we read the Bible. This is why we preach the word. This is why we gather together to hear of the great things God has done because all of the great things God has done, God can do because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, 
Saul, as usual, sees all of this and decides once again to get in on the action and take some glory. Verse 16, And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and, count and see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God went at, the, at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So it's just getting, it's just crazy. The, the, the messengers are saying, you won't believe this. Oh, they're all fleeing from that camp. And he laid a uh, half mile over here. Oh, they're all fleeing from that camp. And man, there's a stir in, the, in this garrison. And, and these raiders are heading for the hills over here. And wow, it's, this thing's about over. This thing will be over in three minutes. I mean, it's like, wow. So what does Saul say? So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Get away from me. I've got, we got to go. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. So really, I think the point of the spirit here is to show us we don't need Saul and his 600 men. It's already underway. This thing is already finished. Of course, Saul just wants some glory. He wants to be a part of the action, which history will show us that Saul is known as the great king of battle. And we'll talk about that next week. But 1 Samuel 14, through 20, uh, 14, 21 through 23 goes on to explain what's happening here. It says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with uh, them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle passed beyond beth -Avon. The Lord saved Israel that day. That's the key verse here. God used Jonathan, God used his armor bearer, God used other forces, but it's God who gets the glory. God saved Israel that day. Now, these other traitors, kind of, I say that, these other Israelites who early on fled to the Philistines and asked, asked them to, to give them shelter, and, and they joined the Philistines, they turned when they saw, you know, th those are just fair-weather friends, right? When they, when they see who's got the power, they, 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 they were with the Philistines when they had the power. Now they see the Israelites winning. Oh, we're going back over here. And then all those people hiding, right? All those who were cowardice couldn't stand. Now they decide, oh, the battle's almost done. We're going to run out and, and, you know, take the end result here and, and, and clean up. I could make some jokes about the Marines and the Army. I won't. There's some things about that. I'm, I'm kidding. But at any rate... We see that the ultimate thing that the Spirit wants us to see here, though, despite all of this about who's doing what, who, who, who initiated the attack, who joined the attack, bottom line is, the Lord saved Israel that day. That's what we've got to get. That's what we've got to get in our own minds, because there's times that you and I are Saul glory seekers. We're just like Saul. We want the glory. We, 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 we don't have faith in God. 
But yet when, when things are going well, we jump in on some program. We jump in at the end or when it's already underway and we want glory. And then we begin to say, look at me. Our pride and arrogance is awful, if we're honest. And we seek glory rather than giving all the glory to God. How do we do that as Christians? How do we make sure as Christians that we're not Saul glory seekers? Simple. We've got to battle this tendency to take credit for things all the time. The Bible tells us to give credit to others when it's due. We should never toot our own horn, so to speak. We should never try to stand up and, well, you know, I was on that team too. Or, by the way, I, I, I came up with that idea. We don't ever have to say that. God will be sure to raise up the humble when it's time. And our main glory, our main heart should be, God, you get the glory for this. If something's a success in our church, let's praise God together. Let's all realize, man, it's, it's him. Anything that we were able to do, that's his grace. That's because of the faith that he gave us to go forward and try this. But he is the one who gets the glory. The Lord saved Israel that day. Why? Because there's no limit to what God can do. And therefore, therefore there should be no limit to our imagination and our faith as, as to what God can do. And I just want to end. I mean, this is it. I want to challenge us. Our application, really, this sermon is a call to action. <laughs> this whole sermon in itself is a call to action for believers. Let's believe big things from a big God this year. That's my challenge to all of us. I confess, I think too much and, and write things off when I think, oh, there's no you know, there's no strategic way that could happen. There's no humanly possible way that that could happen. But as we see all through the scriptures, that's never been the modus operandi of God. It's always been, trust me, and perhaps I will work for you in this. But, but trust me. And by trusting me, that means get up and start climbing that cliff. <laughs> start climbing the cliff. It looks hard, it may be impossible, but perhaps I'll work for you. Where's your trust? In your ability to climb that cliff or my ability? God is asking us. So let's believe big things this year. Let's believe that God can save that person that you've been witnessing to for years. Let's, let's, let's continue to believe God. God, you can save my daughter. You can save my husband. You can save my neighbor, my coworker. Let's believe that we can Increase the outreach of Grace Covenant Church this year to, to the community around us. This all begins, by, folks, again, what I'm saying is, and this is where we, we sometimes fail, but this is where I want to, uh, as your pastor, encourage us. Nothing great will be done for God until God's people put their faith in God and, and step forward and say, God, we believe you've called us. God has already called us, by the way. You know, we have this commission to do all the things I'm going to mention here. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always. I'm with you. My authority is with you, my power. Do we have faith in that? If we have faith that he's with us, then let's go forward. Let's start doing some things. Let's start walking up the side, not walking, but climbing up the side of that hill. So let's believe that we can increase our outreach to the community. What do I mean by outreach? Just, just loving our community. 
whether or not they ever come and, and, and sit in this church or not, we, we're, no, we're called to go out and begin to make relationships with people so that we can ultimately give them the good news of the gospel, but we've got to get out there. Let's believe that by faith, God can take away our selfishness and we will give of our time to actually serve other people this year. That's the confession part for all of us. That's the repentance that we all need. In order to live by faith, we've got to stop living for ourselves and believe that God has a work to do. We are his instruments, but let's trust him and have faith in him enough to believe he can even change us and equip us to do the work. Let's believe that we can pay this building off this year. That's not very spiritual. Neither is climbing up the side of a rock. <laughs> the point is, all that we are doing in this physical world is a part of God's plan. Therefore, it is spiritual, <laughs> is it not? We have a debt. It hinders us. There's things we want to do. We need more space. We, we could use a bigger auditorium, but we could definitely use more teaching space. Let's believe God that we can pay off this building and then watch him give us the means needed to build other space so we can continue to make disciples. Let's trust him. Let's believe. Let's walk by faith. Let's begin to say, and, and what does that mean? That means more than us just sitting back and saying, Lord, we have faith. We have faith. We have faith. You're going to pay the building off. We're just waiting and watching. No, it takes... That kind of faith means you climb up that, that rocky crag of selfishness and you defeat it <laughs> and you reach in your pocket and you give. I'm saying this for all of us. Our faith, if we believe God is going to give us that ability, we've got to walk forward. We've got we to move out in faith. And together we can do this with God's grace. Perhaps! Can we not live for that word? Let's pay this building off, and perhaps God will work for us. What's he going to do? I don't know. But we will look back years ahead and look back and say, what great things God hath done. But it always, those words, what great things God hath done, always begin with God's people having faith in a big God. And therefore, attempting big things for that God. Let's believe that God can put marriages back together this year. Whatever situation you're in, believe God is big enough to save your marriage. He is. So by faith, stop crying and running and hiding from truth and, and confession and repentance and forgiveness. And by faith, walk forward and trust God to give the victory there. Let's believe that God can heal broken relationships with our children this year. I mean, let's just do other things. Let's just, I mean, let's, I know I gotta, I gotta end this somewhere. It really, there is no end to this admonition to us to serve, serve God together and build each other up in this. But I'm telling you, it takes faith to say, God, I want to read through my Bible this year. And then faith is acting upon that. Faith is saying, God, I believe you'll give me the stamina. I believe you'll give me the desire. I believe you'll change my thirst to where I'll begin to thirst for your word on a daily basis. And I will actually long to hear or to read your word every day. 
By faith, let's believe that, let's pray that, and let's act upon that. I mean, start family worship this year by faith. By faith, say, God, I want to move forward. I'm going to show that I believe big things. And who knows what you'll do in my family? Who knows what great, perhaps you'll do great things. But it starts by us climbing those hills and saying, we're going to at least take one night a week to read the Bible together as a family. At least start there. Start this year having faith to serve in children's ministry. That's a big craggy hill to climb. So pray for the faith. God, give me the ability. Give me the faith. And then start climbing that mountain. Don't wait. I mean, faith acts, right? If you wait too long on that one, you will find a reason not to. How do I start climbing the craggy mountain? There's Travis. Run to him right now and say, I want to help. <laughs> and by that point, you're, you're halfway up the hill. Maybe you want to say, man, this year I'm going to have the faith, God, to grow in you, and, and I'm going to start attending the women's Bible studies on Monday nights. I mean, Lord, I want to grow in my faith, I, and I have faith in you. Well, move on that. Begin to hear more about him. Begin to read his word more. Encourage with other women. Get in a community group this year. Same idea. Oh, I, I, Lord, I, want to, I love your church. I want to live by faith. So do a lot of other people. And you know how we do that as a church? Together. We build each other up when we're together looking into the word of God. That's how God builds our faith. Start attending Wednesday night service. That's a good one. I mean, like we say, we're starting up again January 5th. We're actually going through the book of 1 Corinthians right now. It's a joyful time. Midweek service, we come together, we sing, we, we pray, we hear the word of God preached. It's pretty much a little, little bit like this. Folks, what I'm saying is when we act and we will step out and we say, God, I believe in you. Now I'm going to show my faith by actually living for you and actually seeking you and seeking a relationship and to grow more and to show you that you are the priority in my life, not these other things that take my time. If we step that direction, perhaps God will do a great work for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, for your spirit. And without your spirit, None of this is applied to us. So we pray now that your Holy Spirit will make these words effectual, that you will light a, a, an ember in us that begins to, to burn brighter and brighter as, as we begin to hunger to live by faith. Let that be our lifestyle, believing you for all things, every area of our life. Remind us, God, that the just will live by faith. And we pray all of this for the purpose of you receiving all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.